0: Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on February 13th, 2022. You bunch of snakes. Why are you even here today? You think that by coming to church you can escape God's wrath? Either live your faith and produce godly fruit as who you are, believers in Jesus, or just get up and go home. Don't tell me that you're a Christian or a long-term believer or even a Baptist because God can take the gravel in the churchyard and turn it into long-term Southern Baptists. Either put your faith into practice and live it or get ready for judgment day. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Amen. That's a sample of John the Baptist preaching, only slightly paraphrased. His job was to call people to repentance, which we sometimes forget is part of the gospel, and to announce the coming of the Messiah. That's why he came. His preaching made some people angry, and it led others to repent. And as we will see, it led ultimately to his own arrest and later his death. By the way, I prefer the name John the Baptizer. Then John the Baptist. Don't think of him as a member of a Baptist church. He baptized people, and, and that's what he did. He preached the gospel of repentance. Hey, turn away from your sins and turn to faith in God and then live it. And then when people came forward, he baptized them. So we're going to read our passage today in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. It's one of those challenging Passages when I was growing up that I didn't want them to call on me because it has so many names that are hard to pronounce, especially at the beginning. So I'm going to give you my pronunciation for them because one of my professors told me one time, hey, if you don't know how to pronounce those words, just say it with confidence and the people will assume you're right. So you can assume that I'm right. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Let's stand as we get this summary of the preaching of John the Baptist. And this is how it reads. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eicheria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, "'During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, "'the word of God came to John, "'son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. "'He went into all the country around the Jordan "'preaching a baptism of repentance "'for the forgiveness of sins. "'As it is written in the book of the words "'of Isaiah the prophet, "'A voice of one calling in the wilderness, "'Prepare the way for the Lord. "'Make straight paths for him. "'Every valley shall be filled in, "'every mountain and hill made low.' The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produced fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children from Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every true tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you were required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. You may be seated. And as you can see, that's some pretty powerful preaching. And I want us to understand it and break it down for what Luke did here. And remember, this started about six months before Jesus began to preach. John prepared the way for Jesus. And so I want you to understand his ministry, and we're going to start with the setting here. I've told you that Luke is a very careful historian because he is very clearly presenting his gospel as history. This is not a fairy tale. This is real. And so he mentions six leaders on various levels of history so we can understand that this is real history. Now I like to get this straight in my mind. I mean I kind of joked about saying those names but I like to get it straight in my mind so I kind of charted it out to get the setting. When did John the Baptist start preaching and Luke mentions six different leaders and so I kind of charted it out in my mind to make a timeline because I really do want to understand why did Luke give us all this information. And he mentions Tiberius, Pontius, Herod, Philip, Lysanius, Annas, and Caiaphas, various levels. And so I kind of put them on a timeline just so I could understand it. Tiberius reigned from um, 14 AD to 37 AD. Pontius Pilate reigned for part of those years, 26 to 36 AD. Herod reigned for a long time, 4 BC. To 39 AD, Philip, his half brother, from 4 BC to 34 AD. Lysanias is an interesting person because historians used to say, ah, Luke got it wrong. This is not the inerrant word of God because Lysanias reigned a generation earlier. But then later, as they studied, and the more you study, the more you realize God's word is accurate. They found there was a grandson of his, Lysanias, who reigned in the 20s. Luke was right, the Bible is true. And Annas and Caiaphas, a strange situation. This was a father and son-in-law who reigned as high priest. Technically, Caiaphas was, but Annas held the power. And so, you can see where all those intersect, and we can find out that that John the Baptist preached in about the year, 27 or 28 AD. Now I give you that again because I want you to have full confidence in Luke and in the Bible as a whole. This is not make-believe. This is real history. And so you can see the setting there that Luke gives us. In about 27 AD, John came and began to preach, and he did so primarily along the Jordan River. He needed water for baptism. That was part of his message. Repent and turn to God, and when you come to me, I will baptize you. And he spent much time near Jericho, which was only about 15 miles from Jerusalem. And so many of the leaders hearing about John, some came in faith. This is a prophet of God and we want to hear them. Some came in great skepticism. He's a false prophet and we're going to put him down, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But he spent much time there near Jerusalem preaching. Now that's the setting for John the Baptist. Let's also understand his message And he focused on two primary things. And the first was what he called repentance leading to forgiveness. Verse 3 is a good summary. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And his message was, listen, you all think you're okay because you are Jews. But it's not enough to be a Jew. It's not enough to be a descendant of Abraham. Your label means nothing. If you want your sins forgiven, and God is perfectly willing at all times to forgive sin, and we'll see in the ministry of Jesus, he went to extreme ends, allowing his own son to be killed. But if you want your sins to be forgiven, you must repent of them. You can't just continue in them arrogantly and say, because I'm a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, or in our day a Christian, I can live any way I want and expect God to be forgiving. John said, you want your sins forgiven, then you repent. So let's make sure we understand what repentance is. Repentance essentially means stop, make a U-turn, and go in another direction towards God. Admit that what you did or are doing is wrong. Confess it to God. Make any apologies and reparations that are necessary. If you've hurt someone, confess it to them and do whatever is necessary to make it right. If you've taken something, return it or pay for it. If you've lied, admit it and tell the truth about your lie. If you're living in a way that is wrong, change your way of living. If you've been lazy, then get to work. If you haven't been doing something that is right, then start doing it. And as part of repentance, take whatever steps are necessary to change the attitudes, the habits, and the patterns that led to your sin in the first place. So that was the first part of John's message. Don't just say you're right with God. Repent of all known sins and turn to God. And so he came preaching that. And the other part of his message was preparation for the Messiah. John announced, I'm a voice in the wilderness preparing your hearts for the Messiah, who we know as Jesus. I'm reminding you that God is real. I'm reminding you that God loves us. I'm reminding you that God has not forgotten us. I'm reminding you that our prayers have not gone unheard. The Messiah, Jesus, is on his way, and salvation from God is very near. And so he preached. I'm a voice in the wilderness telling you that the Messiah is about to, pre- to, to, to be here And I want you to be ready. But he said, I also want you to understand him. And so he said some things about the coming Messiah because the Jews had a totally incorrect idea. And sometimes we get that totally incorrect idea. And so he shared that this coming Messiah is a personal Messiah. See, what the Jews were hoping for was a political Messiah. They were looking for a leader that would restore the nation of Israel to its glory years, like back in the time of David and Solomon. He wanted a, they wanted a Messiah. They expected a Messiah. They talked about a Messiah that would right the nations wrong, kick out the Romans, and turn the nation of Israel into a world power once again. I want you to understand that Jesus did none of those things. As a matter of fact, the nation of Israel ceased to exist about 40 years after the time of Jesus and didn't reestablish itself until 1948. God is much less concerned with nations than most of us think, but he is much more concerned with the hearts of individual people. And so John was saying, listen, he's not going to be a national Messiah. He's going to be a personal Messiah. You think you're special because you're a descendant of Abraham and part of the nation of Israel, but God can turn these rocks into Jews. That's not what the Messiah is all about. He's coming as a personal Messiah to save individuals. And so he told them, it's not about the nation.'" It's not about being a Jew. It's about you. Have you repented? Do you believe? Are you following God and living the faith? You know, if you participate in our prayer meetings, and I often roll this over into Sunday morning, that I pray a lot for a national spiritual awakening. I'm not necessarily praying for the right national leaders and laws as much as I'm praying for individual people, Americans, to put their faith in Jesus and to start living it. The spiritual awakening, I envision, is a bottom-up, people turning to faith in Jesus, and then the nation will change. Not a political answer. Elect the right people, and they will change the nation. If hundreds of millions of Americans turn to faith in Jesus, then and only then will we demand the right kind of leaders and laws, leaders of high character, great faith, biblical ideals, and personal morality. Now, why do I think that way? Because that's the way John taught that the Messiah would be. He did not come to save your nation. He came to save you. And so are you right with God? Have you repented of sins? We don't preach a political Jesus. We preach a personal Jesus. And so we want to make sure that we, I, you, are right with God. And so, the coming Messiah, he said. And there's proof of this in history. The nation fell apart. But the world was changed because millions of people in that generation came to faith in Jesus. So it's a personal Messiah. Secondly, uh, John talked about the fact that this coming Messiah, who we know as Jesus, is a powerful Messiah. And he used very powerful word pictures. Valleys will be filled in. Mountains will be made low. Crooked roads will be made straight. And he made sure that they understood that this coming Messiah, Jesus, was not just a man. John said, you see me as a powerful preacher? You are asking if I am the Messiah? Listen, as a man, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie Jesus' shoes because he is not just a man. I baptize with water. He will baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. This Messiah that you look for is not like David or Solomon or John. He is God himself. So, yes, Jesus came and lived as a man, and we're very thankful that he did because we can see what God is like, but he's not just a man. He's God. So, John, in his preaching, said that he is a personal Messiah, he is a powerful Messiah, and he is a just Messiah. Now, listen to this, because this is pretty strong preaching. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The day is going to come, he said, when the Messiah is going to make a separation. A winnowing fork is basically what we would think of as a pitchfork. And after they gathered the wheat, then they would pound it and throw it up into the air And the heavier good grain, the wheat, would fall to the bottom. And the stubble, the straw, the hay, the chaff would rise to the top and sometimes even blow away. And so he says, listen, there's going to come a time in which God is going to separate. But he's not arbitrary, he's just, he's fair and those who have repented of their sins and believed in Jesus will become his people and the rest will be blown away or destroyed in the fire and so make your choice you cannot continue he taught in unrepentance and expect to be content, to be considered as part of god's people for god is just and you need to make your choice And I want you to understand that. And I know others will tell you something different, but I I believe this. God is just. He is not arbitrary. So if you believe in Him and call on Him, you receive His forgiveness. If you reject Him and His love and His forgiveness, then you become like the chaff. Worthless. It's our choice. For God is just. And so you see the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament preachers with many other words. It said he tried to persuade them. It says that also on the day of Pentecost. That Peter and others preaching with many words tried to call them to faith in Jesus and they gave them a choice. And so this coming Messiah, Jesus, he is a personal Messiah. He is a powerful Messiah. He is a just Messiah. So you can continue in unrepentance and and disbelief. But you're going to be separated from God. That's your choice. And don't blame God for it. Because He gave you the right to put your faith and trust in Him. Now, let's look at John's method. That's his message. His method, I want to say three things about the way that he preached. First of all, you can see from the... The reading and from my opening, that he was very pointed. There was nothing subtle about John. He is as direct as possible in giving biblical truth. And to the Jews who were smug in their own righteousness and extremely arrogant towards anyone who believed anything differently than they did, it was necessary hey, we don't need a preacher, we don't need a prophet, we're okay, we're doing good, we are Jews, we are God's chosen people, hallelujah, then John was as direct and pointed and in your face as possible. Now we'll see from the rest of Luke that that Jesus himself sometimes took that approach, and sometimes Jesus was very soft and gentle, depending upon the heart of the hearer. Jesus could be in your face to the Pharisees trying to break a hard heart or as soft and gentle as possible with someone who was openly seeking God and who was hurting in need of healing. What approach does God need with you? That's worth thinking about. Because sometimes in the church we become like the Jews and like the Pharisees. I'm okay. I don't want any preacher telling me to repent. He needs to repent. And we become smug and arrogant and we look down on others. Hey, if that's the case, then don't be surprised when God is extremely direct and in your face with you. But understand His motive. He's not trying to put you down. He's trying to break up a hard heart. And yet when you come to him in faith and seeking him and you really want his help, he's as soft as a loving mom. Let me help you. Let me encourage you. And in preaching to a crowd in a church, I know there's people on both extremes. Some of you need the "in your face. Wake up, turn to God. And some of you need hope and healing. And Jesus offers both. So John's method was very pointed. But it was also, and I love this about him, it was also very practical. Notice the softened change that John gave with the people who came, believed, repented, and were baptized, and they begin to ask, what should we do next? Okay, we've repented of our sins We've said we want to live a different life. We believe in God. We've been baptized. What's next? And John gave him a very practical answer. If you have two shirts, give one of them to someone who has none. And if you have food, share it with those who don't. And to the tax collectors, and by the way, the Pharisees would have wanted John to tell the tax collectors, quit your job. No one likes taxes. But John said, don't cheat people to line your own pockets. Be fair and be honest. To the soldiers, keep in mind these were predominantly Roman soldiers who were hated by the Jews. He said, don't lie. Don't cheat people to line your own pockets. As a matter of fact, be content with your own pay his answer was very practical and down to earth now that you've repented of your sin and he came to this theme that jesus would constantly teach on be a good and loving neighbor forget about being self-righteous and self-important be generous tell the truth have integrity and be content And any form of church life that ignores those basic things. Helping hurting people, being generous, being kind, telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Never defrauding anybody, never leading somebody to to believe deceit. Any form of church life that ignores those basic things needs the in-your-face call to repentance. John was pointed in breaking up people's hearts, but he was very practical. Now that you know the truth, this is how I want you to live. Be generous, tell the truth. Be kind, have integrity, don't lie. And the third thing I see about John's preaching was that it was very public, meaning he was unafraid to call out the sins of leaders. John publicly rebuked Herod. Because Herod, in addition to many other sins, had divorced his own wife, forced a divorce with his half brother's wife, and married her. And he did dozens of atrocities against God's law. And so John publicly called about in preaching repentance he was unafraid to preach repentance to all people now I want you to listen carefully to this because when you tell others what I said I want you to tell them correctly because I think the church today is doing a horrible job of this here's what's happening in the church today we have made calling out the sins of leaders a political tool rather than an act of godliness. You see Democratic Christian leaders pointing out the sins of Republican leaders while discounting and excusing the sins of their own party. And you see Republican Christian leaders being very bold in pointing out the sins of democratic leaders while discounting and excusing the sins of their own party. Listen, if, if that's the game that the church is going to play, then we're near, merely another political voice and a hypocritical one at that. There's only one standard. It applies to Republicans and it applies to Democrats it applies to preachers, it applies to people in the pew. There is only one standard, God's. And it applies to all people, and especially to those who lead. So if we're gonna be public like John, then we need to do so honestly and respectfully and apply it to the politicians we like equally, with the politicians we do not like. Anything else, and we're just playing the political game. And we don't stand for a political party. We stand for God and Jesus. And so we need to be very clear on that. Now, understand this, church, if you want to do this, understand there's a price to pay. John was arrested And later executed. Look, good, quality, honest, biblical preaching will often make people mad. That's part of it. And preachers and churches need to be willing to speak the truth, the whole truth, and apply it to all people. Or we're not Christians. We're just politicians. And so, John paid the price. He spoke the truth, and he paid the price. Now, listen, that, that's the ministry of John the Baptist. I want to give you two practical steps, things to end with, based on his preaching that I want to leave you with. And so, these are the next steps. Number one, You could probably figure these out ahead of time. Number one, I'm calling upon you to repent of all your own sins. Forget about the president's sins, the governor's sins. Look at yourself. If you are doing anything that you know is wrong, based on the Bible, if you are doing anything that you know is wrong, stop, admit, confess, And change and if there is anything that the Bible says is right that you're not doing admit it confess change and start doing that because this repentance applies to all of us and we can't ever make the statement that I hear all the time I'm a Christian God will forgive me it's okay if that's part of your thinking, you have the hardest possible heart. For sin is an affront to God and should be an affront to us as well. So you personally repent of all known sins. And then when you're done with that, I've repented of everything I know God, ask Him. It's scary to ask Him, by the way. But ask Him, is there anything else I need to change? God has never said to me, nope, Jack, you're fine. You're good just the way you are. None of you have ever said that to me either, but that's a different issue. I care about what you think. I care more about what God thinks. And so do a deep examination of who you are. Is there something in my life that is displeasing to God? I need to repent of it. Is there something I'm not doing that is pleasing to God? I need to repent of that and make it personal because we're really good at pointing the fingers of repentance to others forgetting that I'm primarily responsible for me not you and then number two live your faith but specifically as John pointed out in your generosity your honesty and your contentment if you are a Christian you should be one of the most generous people you know. You should be helping the poor on a regular basis. It's just part of who you are. As a believer in God, you know God cares about people, and so if you have more than someone else, you help them. It ought to just be part of your nature, part of who you are. If you're a believer... You should be one of the most honest people that you know. No fraud, no deceit, no cheating, no taking advantage, no false accusations. What should we do? John said, don't take advantage of others, don't cheat others, don't fraud others. Speak the truth. Honesty has to be part of who we are if we're followers of God. And you should be one of the most content and satisfied people on earth. If you're rich, you're good with that because God blessed you. If you're poor, you're good with that because that's where God placed you. I'm not telling you don't work hard to get ahead. By all means, do that. But be confident that God knows what He's doing and so you're okay. Contentment is part of Who we are as believers. God gave me. God made me. He's blessed me in many ways. And I thank Him for that. There are other blessings that He gave to other people and not to me. And I'm okay with that. Because I am who God wants me to be. Not perfect yet. I got a ways to go. But that's part of the Christian life that faith, that trust is I'm content with what God has done for me and given me and made me. So, so listen, what I'm calling upon you to do today, it's a process. You don't do it in 30 seconds. But you repent of every known sin. Man, I'm doing this wrong and God with your help I want to change. I admit that it's wrong. I'm going to make changes. Maybe I even need help to make changes. I'm going to seek help. There are people in every church who've been through the same sin and the same background as you have and they'd be honored to help you. So you're going to seek help and do whatever's necessary. Instead of just saying, well, that's who I am. I'm a sinner. You're going to say, God, with your help, I don't want to be that anymore. I want to change. And then you're going to make this commitment. I'm going to be the most generous, honest, and contented person that I know because I'm a believer in and follower of Jesus. Those are the decisions that I'm challenging you to make. John's message was blunt but real, it was pointed but honest. And I pray you and I will do these things. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church. If we can help you in any way, please contact us. Our information is on our webpage at abcaz.net. Or you can call us at 623-932-2723. Thank you and may God bless you and your family.